Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UPS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on thematic approaches to consider for your portfolio if you are investing with a longer term horizon, as well as the implications of the macro environment to thematic investing and themes that are in focus today and will be for years to come. Uh, Joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Laura Kane, head of thematic research. Research Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Laura, good morning. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation. Good morning, Dan. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So, Laura, I know our conversation today will revolve around a recent publication authored by you and your global colleagues, Long-Term Investment Thematic Guide. This was authored back on July 19th. And I will point out to our clients listening in, if you are interested in receiving a copy of this publication, uh, please be sure to reach out to your financial advisor. You can also locate the publication up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Uh, Though, Laura, as you and your colleagues outline within the publication, uh, the pandemic period, it has accelerated the digital transformation of the fourth industrial revolution. So for some context, Laura, can you define that for us and maybe speak to the implications of this acceleration to thematic investing? Sure, Dan, I'd be happy to. So we view the fourth industrial revolution as the next iteration of improvements in automation and connectivity. And each prior industrial revolution has brought us closer to the point we're at today. So the first industrial revolution introduced early automation through machinery and boosted international connections through the building of bridges and railways. The second industrial revolution began when automation enabled mass production and fostered more efficient, productive connectivity through the division of labor. And then the third industrial revolution was propelled by the rise of the digital age and the wonder of Internet connectivity, which enabled new forms of communication and completely new business models. So now we are in the fourth industrial revolution, and this is being powered by technologies like artificial intelligence, big data analytics, and a massive network of smart devices. The result will be extreme automation capabilities, which are increasingly blurring the lines between man and machine, and also allowing for unprecedented connectivity across humans and devices all over the globe. And we believe that the fourth industrial revolution will change our perception of what's possible and significantly alter how businesses operate and how they interact with consumers. There will be both exciting new innovations, but there will also be some disruption as this unfolds. So as investors, we need to be forward-looking and distinguish among winners and losers in this quickly changing world. And our thematic research uh, helps us to do this. So uh, turning to the second part of your question, Dan, which is about COVID-19, you're right. We have seen that Uh, the pandemic has actually accelerated some of the trends associated with the fourth industrial revolution, in particular, those tied to digital transformation. One of the most notable changes that we saw was this rapid shift toward digital and internet-based services. We all began shopping online more frequently, uh, watching more uh, Netflix. Uh, We also saw telemedicine usage Uh, surging. And we believe that some of these behaviors are going to continue and we're going to see penetration rates rise for these digital services. And this benefits some of our long-term themes like e-commerce and fintech and health tech as a few examples. 
We also saw businesses rethinking their supply chains. The pandemic exposed the vulnerability of global supply chains, and one of the consequences is that companies now want to diversify where they're sourcing inputs from, and they want to bring manufacturing closer to home. So as this unfolds, we expect that we're going to see more demand for uh, things like factory automation technologies and robotics, because in the developed markets, uh, there's higher labor costs. So we think we're going to see more technology in the manufacturing process. And again, that will benefit um, some of our themes like our robotics and automation theme. Uh, we also expect to see companies investing in upgrading IT networks and investing in cybersecurity um, in efforts to better support a more distributed workforce. So more of us are working from home um, these days and likely will be in the future. And also to improve business resiliency as we look ahead. So um, so to sum up, the pandemic has fast-tracked the fourth industrial revolution, and a number of our long-term themes are well-positioned to benefit uh, from this transition. And these themes really range from both tech-oriented ones, like enabling technologies and robotics, um, but also um, looking at finding disruptors and innovators across nearly every industry, uh, from the consumer industry to financials to healthcare, and that ties back to some of those themes that I mentioned, like e-commerce and fintech and health tech. So um, there, there really are a wide number of implications from an investment perspective, not just of the fourth industrial revolution, but also some of the kind of post-pandemic knockdown effects that we're seeing. Maybe, Laura, we can run with that a bit further, and I know we'll be diving into some of these specific themes in just a few moments. Though, with that backdrop in mind, this evolution of consumer behavior, business practices, and now we have a better understanding of what's to come, looking out now over the next 10 years, the next decade, what secular trends, Laura, have been identified by the Chief Investment Office that will endure and stand to be relatively resilient from periods of economic or even geopolitical turbulence? Yeah, it's a great question, Dan. And what we've done is we've really oriented our thematic research framework around three secular trends that we believe will endure um, through economic downturns, through political uncertainty, uh, through pandemics, as another example. Um, and, and the reason we do that is we, we want to make sure our investment ideas are grounded in trends that are kind of near certain to play out. So the three uh, key trends are population growth, aging, and urbanization in emerging markets. So let me touch on each one of those in a little bit more detail, and I'll talk about how they inform our investment choices. So uh, the first trend, population growth. So the global population is set to reach 10 billion by 2060. This is up from about roughly 7.5 billion today. And importantly, it's not just the growth, but where it's occurring. So over half of the projected population growth between now and 2060 will come from just nine countries, all of them in the emerging markets except one, uh, which is the U.S., due to um, immigration patterns. The second major trend, aging. So the global population is getting older and living longer. Uh, by 2060, there will be 10 times more people over the age of 100. And then urbanization. So by 2035, we will have more than 48 megacities with a population size of 10 million or more. And these megacities will be concentrated in the emerging markets. In fact, by 2100, the largest city will be Lagos, Nigeria. Um, and I would say of, of the three trends, the one that we get the most questions on in terms of what it really will endure is this urbanization trend. Um, you know, with the pandemic playing out, 
Um, we saw, you know, more social distancing measures. We saw increased um, rates of working from home and things like that. So um, I think there's more question marks around um, urbanization in developed markets. And that really kind of wasn't what we were focused on in terms of our framework. So our framework is actually really focused on urbanization in emerging markets. And that really hasn't changed because in emerging markets, the move towards cities is more of a necessity than a choice. Uh, as we see, um, you know, the, the types of labor availability change and as we see um, people migrating towards cities to achieve a better standard of living um, and more kind of office-based work. So that transition from, you know, an agricultural, um, mostly agriculturally focused labor market to, to one that encompasses so much more. So we don't expect that um, trend to, to be offended by the pandemic. So what do these trends mean for investors? Uh, well, we envision a world uh, with a larger, older, and more urban population. And, and in that context, we expect uh, to see the demand for certain goods and services shift. And it's those companies that are meeting the demands of the next generation that are most likely to outperform. So let me walk through a couple of examples in terms of how the trend translates to an investment opportunity. So, for example, if you think about the population growing, we're going to see greater demand for water, as an example, especially in areas that already struggle with water scarcity. Um, today, already 2 billion people worldwide don't have access to safely managed drinking water. So from an investment perspective, we see opportunities in water utilities, uh, companies with exposure to water infrastructure and industrial equipment, um, and technologies like smart meters. So all of these types of companies help to alleviate the water scarcity challenge. Another example is that we'll see increased food demand. So we expect that we're going to need 50 to 60% more food by 2050. And this isn't just because of population growth. Urbanization plays a role as well. Uh, as we see urbanization unfold, we see higher incomes in emerging markets. And this translates to more demand for protein and meat in particular, which is more resource intensive to produce. So when we think about investment opportunities for the future, uh, that includes areas like smart agriculture, plant-based meats, and vertical farming. And then finally, let's touch on aging. So aging will likely translate to more uh, demand for healthcare services, especially for treating age-related diseases like cancer, as an example. So we do have a theme on oncology. We expect the rate of growth in new cancer cases is going to be double the rate of population growth until 2040. So from an investment perspective, we've highlighted opportunities in the biopharma and biotech spaces, um, particularly companies focused on coming up with new cures for cancer and ways to diagnose cancer uh, earlier. Uh, so there's really a wide range of opportunities in the healthcare segment as we think about this aging trend that's unfolding uh, across the globe. So, so those are our three trends and just a few examples of how they translate through to some of the long-term themes that we've highlighted. Thank you, Laura, for highlighting for us those trends, citing some of those examples. Now, to add another layer to it, it was interesting as I was reading through the publication, I noticed that you and your colleagues identified some potential disruptive forces to be mindful of. Is there a mechanism or means in place for forecasting or even measuring the potential impact impact of them. Yes, yeah, so on top of the three secular trends that we just discussed, we also 
could you consider three major disruptive forces when we are coming up with our long-term investment ideas? And these forces are technological innovation, resource constraints, and social pressures. And we call these known unknowns because we know they will create disruption, but their exact impact is difficult to measure and forecast. So let me talk a little bit in more detail about these forces and how they play a role in our investment decisions. So starting with technology, it's, it's very difficult to anticipate a major technological breakthrough and all the implications uh, associated with it. But what we can do is stay on top of technological trends and take a diversified approach to investing in companies associated with them. And that approach includes investing in the the tech companies to the tech creators themselves, as well as the whole ecosystem around that technology. So if you take an example like vehicle electrification, it's not just the car makers, but it's also the enablers. So it's companies in, um, you know, related to infrastructure, certain semiconductor companies, companies that are making battery cells. So there's a whole um, universe kind of built around this new technology. Um, and that's, you know, where we want to look as investors for opportunities to kind of diversify our holdings. Turning to resources, uh, changes to the supply or availability of critical resources is an important consideration when it comes to assessing both risk and return. Companies who are thoughtful about how they use and manage resources and their impact on the planet are better positioned for changing regulation and changing investor and consumer demands. At the same time, threats to resource availability can bring about innovation. Companies that are finding ways to do more with less or with less environmental impact can be areas of opportunity for the future. And then finally, social pressures. So we're going to see social norms challenged as people live longer and move to urban areas. We're also going to see uh, that technology may influence social hierarchies and will likely cause some job losses and contribute further to income inequality in some cases. We'll also see changing consumer preferences influence the relative success of companies in certain sectors. And I would say these forces among the three that we talked about are probably the most difficult to forecast and measure. So it's a little bit more of an art than a science, but something that we do want to consider when making our investment recommendations for the long term. I would also add one more thought in that uh, one potential tool for investors in assessing companies' exposure to these forces is ESG information or criteria. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Characteristics. And this type of information can um, be at least one tool to help understand how vulnerable companies are to uh, some of these forces that we just discussed. While difficult to forecast, it sounds like, Laura, it is important to keep these disruptors on your radar. So maybe we could take a quick moment to pivot over to sustainable investing. Of course, sustainable investing is the preferred form of investing here at UBS and uh, does play a key role in our future. So with with that in mind, Laura, how should investors think about sustainable investing in a thematic context? And how is sustainable investing linked to the thematic framework, which you walked us through a bit earlier in our conversation? So sustainable investing in a thematic 
uh, investing context means investing in companies that stand to benefit from or are directly contributing to specific themes tied to environmental, social, or governance factors. So there's that ESG acronym again. Um, Let me provide some examples that that span the E, the S, and the G. So examples of relevant uh, environmental themes include areas like water and waste management, uh, energy efficiency, uh, and climate change mitigation and adaptation solutions. Social themes include uh, supply chain management, uh, methods of ensuring better housing, education, and healthcare. And governance themes address issues like board diversity and corporate transparency and executive compensation, just as a few examples. And while it could be argued that all long-term themes relate um, to, to sustainability in some way because we're focused on these, these trends of population growth, aging, and urbanization, um, but we do try to distinguish among them. Um, and the way that we do that is we look for alignment with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So we don't consider all of our long-term themes sustainably as sustainable. Uh, we we, we do a rigorous process to really understand, you know, if the theme is actually helping to achieve those uh, UN SDGs and whether they're helping to advance uh, some of the underlying targets within those 17 goals. So just to sum up and put things in a broader context, uh, investing in sustainable themes is just one way to invest sustainably. So there's other sustainable investment strategies like exclusion, ESG integration, and impact approaches. So the best way to think about it is that themes can be part of a wider sustainable investment approach. So, Laura, before we close out, maybe we can hit on one more point or 25 points for that matter, because I know within the publication, (laughs) there are 25 longer-term investment themes outlined. Of course, we won't have time to cover them all, though we do encourage our listeners, especially our clients of UBS, to uh, sit down with their financial advisor, have a conversation, and review these investment themes within the publication, though. Are there any in particular, Laura, that you would like to highlight for us today? Yes, so it's a great question, Dan, and I would say that we tried to make things easy in the new publication by having a one-page summary of each of those 25 uh, themes so that um, it wouldn't be too overwhelming for um, our our advisor and and client population. So uh, with that, I would say focus Um, on those themes that have been accelerated by COVID-19, and that includes themes tied to digital transformation, which we've already touched on, and also those tied to sustainability. You know, as the world recovers from the pandemic, we're seeing momentum toward rebuilding more resilient global economies that are better prepared to withstand the next crisis, whether that be health-related or environmental. So let's start with the trend of digital transformation. Uh, Two of our preferred themes are fintech and health tech. Uh, So in fintech, we we are seeing a strong growth potential in digital payments, for example, which saw saw a boost from the surge in online shopping during the pandemic. And according to a MasterCard survey, almost 7 in 10 consumers say the shift to digital payments will likely and nearly half of consumers plan to use less cash in the future. We're also seeing innovation in the way of making financial services more efficient and more widely available to the masses. And this includes areas like automated mortgage workflows and the rise of online trading platforms. Turning to health tech, healthcare is really undergoing a transformation. It's one of the largest yet least digitized sectors today. 
And the pandemic served as a reminder of the need to have robust, efficient, and accessible healthcare services in the future. So we see investment opportunities in areas like telemedicine, wearable devices, and digital platforms for the management of chronic diseases. And then as more industries undergo digital transformation, we're also seeing changes and improvements to IT infrastructure, as I mentioned earlier. So 5G and cybersecurity are two other areas I'd highlight here in relation to digital transformation specifically. And then finally, shifting toward our other major trend, which I mentioned, which is uh, this momentum toward a more sustainable economy. We also have a positive view on green technologies or green tech. Now, green technologies are focused on aiding carbon emission reduction efforts. And this term of green tech really aggregates elements of several of our longer term themes like clean air and carbon reduction and smart mobility um, as a couple of examples. And some of the uh, investment opportunities that we highlight within this broader heading of green tech include renewables, electric vehicles, energy efficiency technologies, and enabling technologies like semiconductors. So there's a lot of different opportunities tied um, to this idea of moving toward a more sustainable world. And for more on these themes that I just discussed, I, I would recommend looking at our publication series, Investing in the Next Big Thing. So I'll wrap it up there, Dan. Well, Laura, thank you for hitting on just a few of, again, what our 25 longer-term investment themes outlined within the publication. And again, just to emphasize what Laura just mentioned, we do, of course, encourage our clients listening and especially to contact their financial advisor, have a conversation, and further explore these investment themes to determine what might be a suitable fit for their circumstances and investment horizons. Uh, the Laura, very productive and insightful conversation today. Uh, thank you for covering covering all of that ground for us. Looking forward to tracking the progression of these themes. And thank you again for your time and insights. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you, Laura. And again, today we've been joined by Laura Kane, Head of Thematic Research Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the publication which Laura has been making reference to during our conversation today, Long-Term Investment Thematic Guide. That again was authored on July 19th. So for clients of UBS, you can contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about the topics covered on today's podcast or if you would like to receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways 
and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 